This is the 90 Miles Podcast, an interview series highlighting Cuba's entrepreneurs, artists, creatives, and musicians, and sharing their stories with you. I'm your host, Susanna Coley. In the midst of the cryptocurrency revolution, Cuba is no exception. And leave it to Cubans to use blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies to circumvent a 60-year-old embargo. Erich Garcia Cruz is the pioneer on cryptocurrencies in Cuba. Most notably, Erich created an online marketplace for Cubans with his startup Bache Cubano, where they can buy items that are not available on the island, and he advocates for Bitcoin as a means of payment in the absence of international banking infrastructure. He is equal parts cool and school, a computer scientist and entrepreneur who trained as a teacher. He is a techno maven and key to understanding the digital landscape in Cuba. It's no surprise that tens of thousands of Cubans flock to his YouTube channel, where he covers topics like Bitcoin and crypto assets, e-payment options, and the scoop on popular applications, and much more. And he's funny. He entertains fans with his sarcasm and sense of humor. He jokes that he's not the leader, just the pretty face of crypto in Cuba. He also uses his following on social media to call for unity and an end to extremism on both sides of the political spectrum that's leading to increased polarization amongst Cubans. 90 Miles had the opportunity to hear Eric's story and learn all about the cool stuff he's involved in. Over to my colleague Brett Perlmutter with Eric Garcia Cruz. Garcia Cruz, who is best known as the founder of Bache Cubano. But, Erich, I thought we would allow our audience to get to know you. And perhaps the best way to do this, because you're quite a personality and your reputation, especially your online reputation, precedes you, for the better, I should say, uh, by reading your Twitter profile description. So, on Twitter... I thought this would be appropriate. On Twitter, you call yourself un programador, un jodedor, un YouTuber, un tecnólogo y amante del sarcasmo. So, as a warm-up, let's start with each one of those. And I'll read it, and then maybe you can explain in your own words what that means in the context of you. So, programador, a programmer. <laughs> Well, I think my bio in Twitter is uh, the best bio that a Cuban could have because uh, all Cubans, all Cubans, wherever they are, are jodedores, are people with a high level of jokes, high level of um, sarcasm. Everything is a, a funny situation, even with the with the with the problems and the bad situations every day in Cuba. We affront them with so happy and so intelligent humor. So uh, we call ourselves as jodedores by that. And uh, of course, I am a programmer. I am a developer, which I love web development, I love the automatization, I love the, the, the way as uh, problem solving with internet, with uh, code, but I can't forget my origins, I can't forget my culture, 
and my culture is that just a holder, just a joker, just a funny person who who jokes on everything, in problems, in men, in memes, in everything. It's a great combo, programmer and joker. <laughs> That needs no more description. I mean, we already know it's almost self-evident uh, in the way that you present yourself. Um, so there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, you do a lot. Um, you're totally charismatic. Um, and you know a lot about technology. So maybe as a point of departure, let's start with your YouTube channel. So you're a YouTuber in Cuba, which has internet constraints. but. Bate Cubano channel, which is your channel, has 53,000 followers and it's the most watched tech channel from Cuba on YouTube. How did you build that following? I don't know what was going on there. Here in Cuba, there is another tech channel when in my mind doesn't leave the idea to be a YouTuber. We had here several tech two channels. There is a very example with Technolike, with Geek Cubano, with Cuban Geek, and I just see a niche, I see a way to deliver my content, to a way to say my, my truth, say my histories about using technology to improve our internet day-to-day. Uh, our daily use of internet from Cuba. And I think that was the boom to the channel. I, was, I, I think that was the most uh, unprecedented wave of telling histories using technology from Cuba, a country which hasn't uh, that approach to, to the latest tech news or the latest technology solutions. So if we can understand the types of videos you put on YouTube are around educating people about how to use technology to improve their business and their lives. That's the idea. That's the core of the of the channel. How to improve your life with the internet from Cuba. And is the majority of your audience in Cuba or are they outside of Cuba? Uh, majority in Cuba, but I see in this in the analytics there is a lot of Cubans not living in Cuba. So uh, I, I understand my niche is Cuban people, Spanish people, uh, but never mind or, or, or any or, or that people doesn't matter where do they live. Uh, I have people living in Miami, living in Hialeah, living in Florida, in, in Orlando in Latin, Latin America, Latin America, but I see that, I see a, a, common, a common interest in my channel from Cuban people anywhere. And you mentioned earlier the Paquete Semanal, the weekly package. So for some of our listeners who may not know, the weekly package is internet content delivered on a hard disk or a flash drive. Is that right, Erish? The weekly package, it's a hard drive um, traveling from, uh, from people with bikes or from people who, who deliver that hard drive in your home, in your house. You copy the content you want from that hard drive so you can enjoy the rest of the week with the content you love from that hard drive. That is a hard drive with one terabyte 
one weekly terabyte of content with movies, with uh, best YouTube creators, with software, with uh, novels, with a lot of a lot of information weekly delivered on any house in Cuba, totally offline. That business model is moving a lot of money. That that is a that is a company which moves a lot of clients, a lot of money, and it's working. It's working. Even in the moment, with every almost every Cuban has a phone, has internet on their phone. It doesn't matter. The people just keep buying that weekly package every week. And Erich, are are you and the Bachecuano YouTube channel or the Bachecuano videos on the weekly package as well? Yeah, we have a special folder which have all tech tubers of the world. So there you can find videos like Marcus Brownlee, like um, just unboxing Marciano phone, and we are there in that folder. We we have our content, our weekly generated content in that package, in that folder, every week in Cuban houses. So you don't actually know the analytics related to the offline viewership of your channel, which is so interesting. So even though you have 53,000 followers or subscribers to the channel on YouTube, you actually have many more watchers that are offline and not being recorded. Is that right? Exactly. Neither you, neither me can't measure the offline audience. So I, I have a lot of strategies. I give my phone number so the people can uh, send me messages when they see some content. That's the way I use to interact with that offline community. So the people send me messages with some kind of task I tell them in my videos. The people also submit me a lot of support messages, messages like, Hi Erich, I see you in the package. I see you, I see that video was, was gorgeous. Uh, please keep going doing content uh, like that. Some kind of um, motivational uh, messages that I appreciate a lot. That's great. I mean, I can see why you're so relatable. It's pretty evident when you talk to you. And very few people, I think, as someone who works in technology that I've met, combine what you do, which is on one hand, a very deep technical knowledge. And on the other hand, the kind of interpersonal skills that you really need to relate to people, to teach them things, and to, to connect with them on a more human level. Why are you so good at combining those two things? <laughs> well, that's the idea. You can't imagine how many people write to me asking me for something. How to, how to deal with that website, how to do anything in internet. So when a lot of people, I, are asking you the same question and um, a lot of people have the same situation with certain website or, or with certain services on the internet you have to do a video explaining how to do it it's like a response a personal response to everything of one of them who had that problem that's the key answer your community 
request. Well, you do a brilliant job of this, and I can tell because one only has to look at your Twitter to see how many people love you and your YouTube channel to see how many people are engaged with the content that you're posting. So you really are connecting with them. Just to give our audience a sense of just how hard it is to be a programmer and a YouTuber in Cuba, um, maybe you can paint a picture of what the internet is like in Cuba today. So to set the context, um, a few years ago, I traveled to Cuba with Dr. Vince Cerf, uh, who was one of the co-creators of the TCP IP protocol in the 70s. And he spoke at Informatica, which is Cuba's big tech conference. And he recalled the early days of the internet. And of course, as global citizens, we all know that the internet that we experience today is leaps and bounds different than the early days when it was really just a DARPA experiment. What was it like for you growing up in Cuba? Uh, you were born in the uh, earlier mid 80s and there was no internet for anyone. When did internet really become a thing in Cuba and for the Cuban people? The internet in Cuba was a very restrained services in the years of the, let's say, 2000, 2010, around 2015. Well, uh, in that years, the, the way you can have internet was working to some state companies who delivered that internet to you as a worker from that company. Then the internet was spread up across the universities so the uh, university student could have internet to check mail or do some research uh, on Google and make some tasks. The, the massive, the massivity to the internet to the people was when I think was the sixth of December two thousand nineteen. It, it was the moment when they deliver internet to the phones, to the data data services. Any 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 phone can, could have internet. The, the company at Exxon, this in this moment, they have a previous services with only email in the phones. And I can tell you a little experiment I did in 2000, 2016. I developed a services which was called Web2Mail. This is a funny history of my development skills, which deliver web page through email based on requests from emails. I could give internet to around 100,000 Cubans via phone, like in the phone, just using email protocol. Wow, so you found a, a very bootstrappy solution to the ability to navigate the web by allowing people to write an email, right? When they only had email access, was some kind of protocol for, was it web scraping? And then you would deliver to them a website? Exactly. I, I just uh, get an email with a, formatted, with a format in the subject and a format in the body decompose that, parse it, see what website are you going to, to request in your inbound email, make a cool call to the website you want to navigate, get those data, 
compress it and send you as an email so you can then decompress that data, request, read, and I did a little transformation in the AHRF links. When I get those data, I just replace the A tags with a mail to tags so you can navigate with internet via email, just sending emails and getting emails. <laughs> that was a very funny... <laughs> wow. Right. So, really, internet wasn't a thing until recently. So, I believe in 2016, Atexa started rolling out some Wi-Fi hotspots so people could connect via Wi-Fi or um, from the parks. And then, really, in, in 2018, we saw 3G mobile data. And now, at home, do you have internet? Or how do you access uh the web, is it all through 4G mobile data? Well, right now I have two internet services. I have the mobile service with 4G Plus, and I have the house service, also known as Nauta Ogar. Currently, I have 4 megabits from downspeed and 1 megabit on uploads. And the mobile data I'm currently using now, it's very fast, I have to tell, uh, I'm, using, I'm, I'm using a 4G+, Plus, which gives me around 28, 30 megabits on upstream. That's pretty good, and I think the podcast is testament to the fact that connectivity is improving. We are able to record this, right? And although at some points the connectivity is uh, a little faulty or there's some latency, this is working really well. Um, while we're both at home. But I have to say, I'm using this podcast using a VPN, which I can't access to these um, services we are currently using now with a normal connection to the website. Hey, I, have to, I have to say... I'm glad you mentioned that, um, because this is a really important subject. I think this is something that's very painful for me personally. I'm sure painful for every Cuban who lives in Cuba and has to face the reality of the fact that many internet services that are available to users around the world are not available to the Cuban people. And they are not available by way of the U.S. embargo on Cuba, which actually blocks, or I would say censors, information from reaching the hands of the Cuban people. I would love to gain your thoughts on this subject in particular, and it's a sensitive subject, but I think it's one that needs to be talked about. Yeah, uh, that's a really, really sad situation. I, I understand your concern about it. I think you have to be very apenado, uh, very, very sorry about this loss and this situation with the Cuban people. Our history is very sad in that case. Imagine, I just traveled to Russia three years ago and then traveled to Panama two years ago. And when I speak to the people, they don't know what is 403 HTTP error. I want to clarify this for our listeners because this is an important point. What you're talking about is when you try to access a website or an online service and you receive a 403 error, 
right? Which is the browser telling you that you are prohibited from accessing that website or service. That's right. That's right. So in Cuba, we see that as a normal behavior from websites. So we have to live constantly using VPNs, live constantly migrating from one provider to another provider to avoid that forbidden situation. I have a group in Telegram which is called Digital Nomads. That's we are. We are just people traveling in a world known as Internet and trying to develop a good experience without being banned, without being blocked from 403 error. There is a huge community here in Cuba. They are trying to, to make business in, on internet. They are trying to sell goods, to sell products, to combine their skills with the ability to, to work in, on internet. How many developers live on any place in the world and they work in freelancer.com or Fiverr? or they buy in Amazon, or they use PayPal as daily use to, to buy or pay for anything. In Cuba, we haven't access to anything of that. Imagine a world without any online service which require a payment or require software as a services. We, we have no access to any SaaS. And that's a very serious problem because I think internet is a complete different world from the real world. And in that digital world, we are not persons. We are not people. We, we have no rights to be there. We have no presence. We need to be hiding our IPs. We need to be hiding our identities to use that platform, to use that network. It's very sad situation. And this is a very salient point because what you're talking about is obscuring your online identities, not from the Cuban government, but from the providers of online and cloud-based services. So they allow you to access those services like the rest of the world. Is that right? It's that right, it's that true, it's that the real, it's that the sad situation with all Cubans who need to use internet services today. Just try it, just try it. Try to register in any SaaS on internet. You will not see Cuba as a country. That's my tweet today. I just get um, so sad with the situation with Cubans. So I just blow up and, and say everything that's on Twitter today. There is a strong political force behind that. And I think that Internet don't, don't have the right to ban a Cuban because they're born in Cuba. That's not the way. That's not the, the solution. It can be. We, we have a very beautiful country with a complicated situation, I know. But that's not the reason to ban us on internet. We deserve to be recognized in internet as a country. So if you could change the United States regulations for Cuba in a way that benefits independent 
computer scientists, teachers like yourselves, and just the average Cuban who lives in Cuba, what would you do? Well, I think that empowering the Cuban entrepreneurs is a very smart solution. I can't say you how many Cuban developers, artists, uh, musicians, designers need to use that services. I, I, I suppose there is around 200,000 Cubans, I don't know. But I really think, and it's very sadly, to see a website just discriminating Cubans because they are Cubans. Why? What that happens? Any government politics can't be the reason for that. It's illogic. It's illogical. You're right. Um, tell me a little bit about how you became so passionate and involved in the internet and start from the very beginning. So you were born in Havana, right? Well, uh, I born in Havana. I was a teacher. I was a primary school teacher. I give, I, I, I have in my <laughs> CV the merit to teach around 25 kids how to read and how to write. I, I give first school year and second school year in my in my early in my early years <laughs> i had around 17 years that was my beginning in the in the work uh, ages then i migrate a little bit because i really love technology i really love teaching but uh, teaching website teaching how to develop a website how to uh, make a solution, how to make a forage, um, how to make a conditional situation, any, anyway, you know, geek, geek language. But in that idea of teaching and developing solution, I found a niche in Cuba who need that and I make money with that. I, as I told you before, I, make, I made a service which allow people with email browse over internet even in the times when no internet was um, uh, ready in the mobile phones. So I, I delivered that software, I delivered that service, I request a payment for that service, and that's a way of life in Cuba. As me, there is a, a, a lot of other entrepreneurs who are making money with internet services. But that's the situation. That is the, the, the culture over that. So. So there is a, a, a lot of Cubans who are making the copies of the actual services on internet forbidden to Cubans. There is a copy of Uber, there is a copy of um, Uber Eats or Lyft or, or even PayPal. I'm developing a smart solution to copy PayPal. <laughs> And that's the idea, so that, that's the, the, the growth of the mentality in the Cubans. The, we are just trying to make a better world on internet from Cuba because we are just banned from every big company who, who delivered that service. And you actually had your hand at a very important entrepreneurial project called Bache Cubano, which was an e-commerce website. And if I understand correctly, the idea started because of some economic reforms that the Cuban government took around 2013, I believe. 
um, in which uh, Raul Castro decided that Cubans could buy and sell automobiles and motorcycles. Is that right? That's right, yeah. I found Bachecubano.com in March 14, 2014. And it was that, it was that uh, approach to the automobile and motorcycle e-commerce so the people can buy and the people can sell. That was smart idea because I was attacking a niche, I was just getting into uh, internet world from Cuba and giving the possibility to the Cubans to watch the best offers of that product they are willing to, to buy or to sell. Then I get a little, a, a small pivot to provide a more wide and more huge website. So we change the, the idea and then allow the people publish anything on the website. Uh, it was computers, it was cell phones, it was um, food, it was anything, any, any service in the Cuba. Many Cubans now are really taking advantage of the boon in cryptocurrencies. Is that right? The, the Cuban cryptocurrency movement began over the 2016-2017 years with a known company uh, called Carat Bars. Carat Bars was a, was a company eradicated uh, on Germany and it sells, or most they say they sell, uh, small pieces of gold. And that pieces of gold, it was a you know, the typical speech of every company, financial freedom, financial success, and any kind. So, on those years, I was very comprom compromised with a um, marketing agency called Cuba, Pay, Cuba, Cuba Key, and I sell ads with our bachecubano.com website and social media, anyway. So, on those years, I see and I watch my friends paying for a crypto asset called KBC. Uh, with that crypto, they buy or they think they buy small pieces of gold and that gold gets storage on a boat in Germany. And I saw that and I say, what the fuck? Uh, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> what, what do you think you are making with your money? But all of that company have a very strong marketing, uh, multi-level marketing. And they sell a prosperity, they sell a huge revenue, a huge return of investment, just because you invite more people to that platform and you get more persons to that scam. Uh, so in that years, I want nothing interested on cryptocurrency. So in 2019, I see um, this new wave of crypto scams. I see this new, new massive um, implementation of these websites who promises uh, two, 2000. Uh, imagine you are, you are a businessman. Imagine a company who promises you 200 ROI annually. 
uh, <laughs> I know you will understand me. There is no company who grows by 200% yearly. There is no company do that. So I, I see that uh, with a more maturity, with a more knowledge about it. I, and I just, uh, of course, of course, and I just attack that behavior in the Cuban community, in the Cuban people, and I suggest and I just make a video warning about this and warning about the consequences of this. The first Cubans who enter in that scam will be make money. We will they will um, get their money because they invite a lot of other, of other Cubans. But when the pyramid of their scam just blow up because there's no money to pay to to everyone, it will be a lot of Cubans with money loss. Then I got a lot of uh, criticism. I get a lot of understanding from that members of that crypto scam. And then I give myself the task to learn a lot about cryptocurrency, about the crypto solution, even from forbidden countries like Cuba. There is a, I have to say right now, hashtag Cuba is a country, please allow Cuba. <laughs> this is a, this is advertising. <laughs> this is my, my today, my today viral tweets. Um, I did a really, really, really strong viral uh, situation today in Twitter. Later we talk about it. So then I see a lot of websites who chose solution using cryptocurrency and how that solution, it doesn't matter from which country are you. So I see that and I say, wow, this is the best way to achieve a Q1 entrepreneurship. I'm talking about with cryptocurrency, buying in Walmart, buying in Amazon, paying for servers, paying for uh, cloud service. Cryptocurrency became a very smart solution to Cuban entrepreneurs and Cuban people to avoid any restriction. So this is fascinating. This is a really important point that I'd love to elaborate on with you because you find cryptocurrency, you find out about it, right, in around 2015, 2016. It's laden with scams, with fraudulent claims on return on investment. Really, Cubans are introduced to crypto via online Ponzi schemes, and you're telling your community via your YouTube channel, via your Twitter, stay away. Then you research and you say, hey, this is an alternative means of payment that does not rely on traditional banking infrastructure, right? And that's the huge advantage of crypto. It doesn't rely on a central bank and therefore it doesn't have to rely on correspondent accounts, which at one point existed between the United States and Cuba and no longer, right? And you're finding a way to do payments in a way that empowers the Cuban entrepreneur. Is that right? That's right. That's the idea. That's the main, the main idea, the main uh, speech from everything as I told in the channel. I, I, I right now get in love with crypto. I get in love with the crypto solutions. I don't, I don't want to 
get bored my audience with the crypto thing, I think sometimes the crypto thing is too much. I have to give her a pause and speak about everything else. Sure. I mean, crypto is, again, it's a very hot subject right now. Um, it's causing a lot of buzz out there. It's interesting, however, to think of it as a way for buying and selling and to do payments, for sure. Here's a question for you, though. A lot of people are speculating on crypto in the world. Um, there are very new, powerful exchanges, uh, blockchain.com, Coinbase, Gemini, where people are actually doing foreign exchange style trading. Are Cubans trading in crypto? A lot of Cubans are trading in crypto. A lot of Cubans are earning really good profits with cryptocurrency. Uh, this is mind-blowing, by the way. I don't think anyone really understands outside of Cuba that this is happening within Cuba. I really enjoy this situation. I have no hurt to trading. I have no uh, brain. I have no balls. You, you have to, to get balls to trade cryptocurrency and live on it. But I see a lot of Cubans which are making money, which are even giving some specialized advices with crypto trading. They are uh, making a smart um, solution called signals. They provide signals. So they, they say, I am an expert and I told you in uh, two hours, please buy a lot of um, BTC and then in five hours it will go up. So then you sell and you will get a profit from it around zero dot nine. Wow, so you're, what, what you're telling me, so I understand correctly, is there are people in Cuba doing technical analysis of crypto. Oh, yes, man, a lot, a lot. And very, very professional, very smart, with a, with a 90% of uh, acceptance in their, in their predictions. And what exchange are they using? There is no one exchange uh, preferred from Cuban. I personally love Bionics.com and I see KuCoin.com also. The real problem is that platforms are brokers from Coinbase and Binance. In Coinbase and Binance, we have no access because we, are, we, are, we don't exist as a country from that website. So my guess then is that people with crypto in Cuba are not using cloud-based wallets. Is that correct? That's correct. The people in Cuba, which understand how the cryptocurrency works, you know, um, let's divide crypto users in Cuba. There is a crypto users who trade it and get profit or who buy stuff on internet and solve parameters of their life uh, or just uh, are holders because in QR are holders of Bitcoin. There, there is. Now, for, for I think people are seeing all over the internet the acronym HODL. Uh, HODLers are people who may, maybe Erich, you want to describe what a HODLer is. It stands for hold on for dear life. But what, what does it mean to you, Erich? Oh yeah, there is in Cuba a lot of hodlers which get Bitcoin and store them to the past of the years 
and get a profit from that in 2025-2030. We have another um, community using crypto and they just don't know what they're doing. They don't know how can they do whatever in crypto. They just invest that crypto in crypto pages which promise you a return of investment uh, 200 yearly. As I told you before, the, any of these communities using or like to use cloud-based crypto wallets. They use preferably wallets installed on their phone or wallets installed on their PC. I don't see a lot of curto with the wallets on PC. Mainly it's wallets in the phone. There is, there is very popular in Cuba the use of trust wallets the use of engine wallet and the use of Coinomi. I, ha I have to say that's the three main wallets that people use here. Great. So this is super interesting. And I think that in general, as humanity, we're just seeing kind of the first version of blockchain technologies, right? There's so many different use cases we can play out, right? Um, and not even looking so far into the future, there's two that occurred to me that may or may not already be happening in Cuba. Um, so you mentioned one use case that I care about uh, a lot, which is payments, especially for freelancers, programmers, and entrepreneurs in Cuba. There were two others that occurred to me. Um, unfortunately, we saw in under the Trump administration, the U.S. government canceled remittances uh, to Cuba or severely limited them. That was very painful for many Cubans and many Cuban families. Um, however, could crypto be a solution to the remittance problem in Cuba? Yeah, that was a uh, well. Uh, when you read the first books and the first white papers from from crypto from from Bitcoin, you see that one of the most important solutions and one of the most uh, useful. Um, use of the Bitcoin is that is money transfer from from one country to another from one place to another anyway you can live in Botswana you can live in uh, Argentina and deliver money from one place to another with no banks with no intermediaries with no uh, with totally decentralized and that's one of the most important use of cryptocurrency the remittances the the way of you can uh, send money to any other place and pay less fees or avoid any bank situation. We are very concerned about the Western Union uh, closing closing services in Cuba, and I think I, I get a, I I made a video just telling that, just demanding that, and just explaining what happened and why it happened, why you, you avoid, why you cancel the opportunity to any Cuban in any place of the world, send money to their family in Cuba. What's that? Why you, why you block that behavior? Why? So there is a lot of politics, absurd ideas, and I think and I thought that that was a very opportunity to bring a unblock solution to that. 
that unblockable solution to that was using Bitcoin as remittance to any people, to any person, to any destiny in Cuba. Great. So is this is this is this happening, Erish? Is this happening? Are people using Bitcoin for remittance? Woof, yeah. There is a lot of of Q1 using that service. So Erish, the other use case that occurred to me um, and seemingly has occurred to many or at least a couple of Cubans is this new wave of non-fungible tokens. So if you read everywhere, this is a very hot subject right now in technology and in art. Um, the idea is, is that Bitcoin or any cryptocurrency is fungible. One Bitcoin could be replaced for another Bitcoin. However, using the immutable ledger of the blockchain, you could actually mint a non-fungible token that is unique. And many have used this to create art, art that is inherently unique. So it would be akin to creating the digital version of the original Mona Lisa, right? I saw on OpenSea, which is one of the largest marketplaces, if not the largest marketplace for non-fungible tokens, that perhaps what is the first NFT originated in Cuba by a photographer is now up for auction on OpenSea. Um, when people think of Cuba, they think of the art. Is this something that could benefit Cuban artists and even Cuban musicians? I think it will be a very, very important solution to the Cuban artists. There is no secret for anyone that Cuban artists are very talented, that Cuban entrepreneurs are very talented. And uh, with this NFT solution, we are telling to the world, we are here, we exist. Taking a few steps back, what you're hitting on is incredibly important because as people live more and more of their lives online, that is directly related to their personhood. When you're saying we exist, you're talking about not only your access to services, but you're talking about the ability to live your life with full personhood in an online environment. And what in the message you're sending is a very potent one. It's saying without the services that allow me to live like the rest of the world as a person online, I'm not a full person. That's incredibly important for the world to know and it's incredibly powerful and thank you for saying that. That's a strong message. We, we don't exist and we want to exist. That's the message. That's, a, that's the way. The Cuban entrepreneurs are not attached to any politics. They are entrepreneurs. They are not politics. They, they want to provide a service, they want to make money. So when people say, oh, what is fraught about Cuba is the embargo, or what's fraught about Cuba is the Cuban political and economic system, what you're saying is just give me freedom as an entrepreneur and maybe you can elaborate on your more nuanced approach here. That's a great approach. That's a great solution. That's a great way to uh, confront the problem. Fascinating. You know, the internet can mean a lot of things. 
right? Um, it can be a place that becomes extreme because people can say things behind the safety of their screen. But if you read your Twitter feed, you're kind of a voice of reason. And you're telling everyone to calm down. <laughs> what do you say about the internet and extremism and extreme viewpoints and extreme language? I don't know how it works in USA. I don't know how it works in Spain. But in Cuba, there is a lot of radicalism. There is a very, very strong uh, aggressivity. Uh, the people doesn't understand why you don't say something. I tweet something about uh, Pixel 5 Pixel 5 and then you have a lot of toxic people requesting you, you have to say, uh, get down government so you can buy that Pixel 5. What, man? What have to do one, one thing with another thing? I don't want to say uh, what are you telling me to say. I say what I want to say. And that is a problem right now in social network. I see it in Cuba, but as you told me, I think there is a lot of radicalism everywhere. And that's wrong. Uh, I hope that um, gets fixed soon. I agree. And I think even knowing some of the creators of the modern internet, they never envisioned that the internet would be a place for this kind of radicalization. And I think we have to work as a global society to make sure that the internet is a place for constructive discourse. Let me ask you about one, one more story um, that I actually heard about your mother. Um, so your mother was in Angola in 1977 and 78, is that right? That's right, yeah. And she was there teaching and helping children, right? And these kids were in bad shape then. They were malnourished. They were without clean water. They were subject to infection and parasites, right? What was she doing in Angola? She could teach that community, and she teach that community to learn, to, to write, to read. And that is done. Uh, she became to Cuba, she continued their work. They, they, she was um, a school teacher here in Cuba. And then in the 2003 year, she get a visit from a high-standing Angola government person. That person is the minister of public works. Okay, so in 2003, the Minister of Public Works of Angola, Carlos Batista Gomez, visits your mother. Visits my house. Uh, he visits my mother. He tells my mother, uh, hello, my name is Carlos Batista Gomez. You was my teacher in 77 and 78 years. And I want to be thankful to you. And he just give my mother uh, a money promise to my mother a house, a car, a no more problem in, in her life. <laughs> but but uh, anyway, uh, it was a very good experience. It was a very good uh, history to, to tell any, any, to anyone. Because 
always do good. What a beautiful story. If I can say something, you get it from your mother and you can tell and that's a big compliment. Well, it's incredible. It's incredible. She's in Twitter. She's also now an abuelita toxica, a toxic grandmother. Uh, imagine. Wow. <laughs> It's great because I see where you get your kind of didactic and pedagogical skills combined with your supreme intelligence and you're not only to have impact on one student or one person or one fellow citizen at a time, but you're doing this at a massive scale through your YouTube channel and through your Twitter handle, which is very impressive. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, We've covered a lot. I mean, this interview started with you saying you're a jodedor, a joker. Um, and yes, you definitely are. Um, but there's a lot of depth to you as well. We've covered so much uh, from being a YouTuber to in Cuba to the growth of the internet in Cuba to e-commerce to the subject of internet and personhood and access to online services, no más el 403, que Cuba es un país, que queremos ser personas en internet, we want to be people on the internet, to the use of crypto and crypto trading in Cuba, NFTs and remittances, all facilitated through the blockchain, and de-radicalization and finding peace on the internet. Uh, this has been a jam-packed hour, to say the least. <laughs> wow, man! What a finish! What a finish! What a what a what an ending! What an ending speech! Really? You heard it here, folks. Sergio. Well, I can't let you go just yet, um, because I would like to take advantage of having you to deliver some specific messages to some specific people. Okay? So we'll play a little game. Um, I hope that each of the people I name will tune in and listen to this podcast and hear out your words, which are extremely important for them to hear. Okay, so I'm going to say the audience and then I want you to deliver your message, whatever it is to them. Okay, are you ready? Okay. Okay. To the people of the United States, what would you say? Well, to the people of the United States, we have a lot of things in common. We have a lot of love to give and receive. Please let us love you. Please let us uh, get loved by you people. Beautiful. Okay. The next up is Satoshi Nakamoto. <laughs> uh, well, Satoshi Nakamoto, uh, thank you for create this huge idea and this exciting solution to the world and mainly to the Cuban people. Okay. To the White House National Security Council and the United States Department of State, what would you say? Well, this is not a prepared speech. So just please let us exist on internet. Let us exist on the world. Please know more for the three. Please, we are personas en internet. Please, Cuba es un país. 
um, peace and love, please. Great. What would you say to Jeff Bezos? Wow, Jeff Bezos. Wow, you are a, you are a guide. You are a guide. I I have to say, um, one of my talks was mainly created by your guide. And please do something relevant in the world in the next year. We are waiting for you to something relevant more relevant than Amazon in the world. What would you say to Tyler and Cameron Winklevoss? Well, you know the, you, <laughs> you know the polemic situation of those brothers with, uh, I have to say, with Facebook, with Mark. I think they are very, very smart entrepreneurs. They saw a great idea and it can be done, uh, the things happen, but I think they are going through the right way with Bitcoin. They are um, thinking how to make solutions with Bitcoin. Um, let's do it. Let's, let's rock and roll with Bitcoin. Great. And then one more hodler. Brian Armstrong, who is the CEO of Coinbase, what would you say to Brian? Wow. Well, I need a payment solution. I need a company who allows me get fiat money and pay me with cryptocurrency. That company, it's called Coinbase. That, that solution and that complete uh, environment of getting fiat money from any kind of payment solution and deliver cryptocurrency with a merchant account, that solution is uh, Coinbase. But Coinbase doesn't recognize me as a person on internet. Coinbase doesn't recognize Cuba as a country in the world for any reason. And I have to say him, please do uh, no more for figure three, please do uh, recognize Cuba as a Cuban, recognize Cuban entrepreneurs as uh, persons on internet. Erich, this has been an immense pleasure to chat. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts, your humor, your wisdom with us, your energy. Um, we're so fortunate to have had this conversation Oh, thank you. Es, es realmente un placer y un honor hablar contigo. Gracias por todo tu tiempo y hablamos pronto. Muchísimas gracias. Muy bien, Erich. Te mando un abrazo fuerte. That was Erich Garcia Cruz, founder of Bache Cubano. That's it for today. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you're in Cuba, you can find us on Cuba Pod. Thanks for listening.